Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Welcome to this week's Small Skies Podcast. This podcast is designed for small government contractors, service providers, and manufacturers as part of the government contractor ecosystem, connecting people, organizations, and resources. This week, we have something a little bit different. DK is out of the office, but uh, he'll be back with us very soon. Um, and we have uh, Mr. Neil Arthur with us. He is the CEO and founder of Arthur Biz Advisors. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct, Neil. Well, welcome, welcome. Thank you. So Glad world, to be here. World headquarters here. You know, <laughs> you're special to get up here to, to well, come see us. We do have a, a, a good view. So I, my my interplanetary court headquarters are north of here. There you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, you know, we all have to have. It's all in how you tell the tale, right? That's right. So speaking of tales, uh, <laughs> Arthur Biz Advisors. So Correct. let me know. Give, give me start off with the twenty second spiel. What is it? Arthur Biz Advisors is an organization that, that unofficially launched in 1997, officially was incorporated in 2005, and is an organization designed to take advantage of the turnaround skills that I've practiced over the years in, in a couple of different situations, where I like to solve problems for small business owners. Um, a lot of the people that we work with have hit a ceiling in their growth or they've run into an HR issue or a supply chain issue or any of the number of things that run in, businesses run into, we have a lot of fun helping them solve those problems. Okay. So work, you focus on small business, hence the reason why you're on the smallest web, uh, That's right. podcast here. Um, of course, we, can, we bring everybody on, but it's all part of, the, uh, part of that ecosystem, right? Right. That's exactly right. So any type of issue essentially that small business would run into? Are you focused on HR, financial, I and mean, what do you? There's a number of areas that we can deep dive all day long with anybody in the world, sales, strategic planning. Um, I'm smart enough to know that I'm very good at getting all of the players pulling the wagon in the same direction. Do I want to write an employee manual in today's world? Not at all. We'll bring in the experts to do that. Fair enough. There's yeah, I, I don't think I would either. Yeah, it's like I'm very good at reading financials. Do I want to sit in front of a spreadsheet all day long? No. Okay, so you're you're kind of acting as a GC to small business. That's that's a pretty good picture. I like okay. that. So yeah, right. so for those of you guys don't know, GC general contractor, right? Kind of if <laughs> if you have a problem, call these guys. They'll come in and uh, walk you through the process of whatever problem right. that may be. Right. Yeah. The key the key element is having a business owner who wants to work on their business. There's a lot of engineers, there's a lot of salespeople, there's a lot of HR people, there's a lot of finance people who start a business and want to do the work and don't know how to step back and, and let their people do the work while they 
build the business plan. That happens a lot. And I would actually suggest if you are an engineer, um, there's only very few of us engineers that <laughs> can do both. Um, but if, if you're an engineer that just never wants to stop engineering, get yourself a partner that actually has some type of that business acumen in the background. Because if you're all engineering, you're going to find yourself in huge amounts of trouble uh, just because you're not going to focus on the, on the bigger picture that, you, that needs to be focused on as the owner of a company. I've seen lots of organizations. I know of one specifically, the guy's a friend, who uh, had his company hit $200 million and stuck there. Now, that sounds like a big number, and it is. The, his board of advisors eventually convinced him to bring in someone who could take it beyond $200 million. They did that, took him three years to convince him, took it to $2.3 billion cash sale to Procter & Gamble. Wow. So it can be done. You just have to be willing to step back from the things that you are passionate about working in your business on and bring in the people who can build the business. Yep. As a matter of fact, Dennis and I are doing that right now in the smalls, right? Um, we're uh, partnered with a company called Ripen. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, well, we're using their service, I should say. Uh, we had them on a podcast here a little bit ago. Um, so Ripen does, um, they put you in touch with, for example, MBA programs or mm-hmm. universities. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times that a, during, during a master's program, the, the capstone course, right. they, they want real projects. So one of the things that, that we had asked was said, you know, one of the things that we're, we're very good at, we've grown this thing from nothing to what, 700 members now in just two and a half years. Fabulous. Um, so it's growing. It's, it's not billions of people, but, you know, we're growing for a small business um, and a nonprofit at that. But we, are, we don't have the marketing acumen. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got ideas, but uh, nothing to put down on paper. So we actually signed up for Ripen, and now we have an entire cohort uh, for the next 12 weeks it, where they're, they're going to be our marketing and, and help us market this and, and figure out how to, how to do it, right? Well, part of the key to marketing is measuring it. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I can measure. I got the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But the next part is is how do we take that next step? Because the smalls, um, we're right on that edge of um, either going huge or, you know, kind of staying where, where we've been. So right. we're trying to push it over that ledge a little bit and see how, see, see where we can take this thing. So we've got a whole program that we – and we're doing a lot of this right now just because of the COVID disruption – is what's your vision? What do you want the vision of the company to be? And where do you want to go with it? Uh, if, you, if you can clearly define that, you can build a business plan that'll get you there. But you have to be able to see the picture. Yeah, which, like you said, can be tough sometimes, um, especially, if you're, especially if you're product-based, I think, because you're, you're so focused on developing that next great product, right. you forget to focus on, well, how do I get that product to the end user? That's the step back part and work on your business. Okay, so you mentioned you started in 97, but right. incorporated in 2005. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that during that time you had a full-time job someplace else? or uh, At various places. You know, okay. couldn't hold a job very long. <laughs> <laughs> well, No, I, uh, I started out in the business side of the media business, uh, oh. particularly newspapers. If you remember those things, they don't exist very much anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm going to put a plug here just for a second. I, uh, uh, I, I'm not an Apple guy. Um, but I can appreciate Apple products mm-hmm. because I think they're designed phenomenal. Uh, the user experience is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't agree with their business practices, how they, how they do things um, okay. pr- proprietary-wise. Right. Um, that's just I, that's not me. Um, however, I, like I said, I'll give them kudos. 
And I will say, I bought my very first iPad when the iPad 2 came out so for the sole, sole reason is they had released uh, um, Apple News. Mm, on the okay. iPad, it was an app. Right. And it was, I think, I want to say 50 bucks a year. And so I signed up for it. I was like, this thing is great because I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Harry Potter or, you know, sure. where they had the magazines where like the people move, right? On, right. So, and that's kind of how the background of the, the mm -hmm. Apple News app was. And, but I remember, I think I had it for nine months and it went belly up and they shut it down. And I'm like, it was like the best app I've ever used, but they said people were not willing to pay the $50 a year for the newspaper. Part of what's happened to the media business, and I don't get too far afield here. I've got a <laughs> big soapbox about the, the state of media and journalism. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, part of it is the consumption of news and how people consume. I've got a, a son who is a true Gen Xer who has only ever subscribed to one print publication, The Economist, and that sometimes goes away and comes back and goes away and comes back. He doesn't consume news like me as a boomer, you know, you might be a Gen Xer. I am Gen X. Yep. Um, um, we all consume it differently. And part of what's happened is you get you get those Apple products that have changed how news is delivered. And you end up with people looking at headlines. You know, the, the beauty yeah. of this device is it's, it's, eh, it's that. <laughs> There's a lot of things. But it's a democratization of information. The bad part about it is anybody's got a platform that's global and they can say anything they want. And, and that's where I see personally, now we're on this, this soapbox. Um, <laughs> to me, the news is no longer news. And 99% of it became op-eds, right? Uh, your opinions, I, <coughs> I, which I've never understood, even like people listening to Hollywood actors and actresses about the economy of the world, really? Uh, you barely have a high school education. And I'm going to listen to you about right. the economics. Right. No, right. I, no, I don't care about your opinion. I, I pay, I pay you to entertain me right. while I'm in the movie theater. Right. Or, and, and that's to me, that's where our downfall has become. I, like you said, I think the first time I really noticed it was in, uh, uh the Gulf war mm. when we started mm -hmm. putting news anchors in the field. And I remember to this day, I was young. I was in, in school. I want to say middle school, high school. And I remember them saying, you know, I'd be like watching TV and watching these people like ride in the Humvees as news anchors right. and telling them, hey, we're on our way to this place. Right. You know, it's a big surprise. And I'm like, you don't think that the enemy is listening to you on, on the news channel? I mean, uh, I would be. I, I know I try to pass for 29, but see, I saw that going on in uh, Vietnam. <laughs> well, so, yeah. Anyway, so anyway, let's we get back to it. <laughs> we digress. We digress. Um, okay, so... Yeah, so let's give us give us some examples, like what what you can do. How, how well? First of all, how big are you guys? How big? Yeah, how, how many people do you have? Two people. Two people. Okay. Two people. So no, it's small it's, business. It's very much. I just moved here from Dayton, Ohio, the home of Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Okay. Uh, Eighteen months ago, I ended up in Dayton from Columbus, Ohio, because I went to work for a client which is kind of my pattern. I've done a gig as the interim president of a healthcare technology company. Same thing, turning it around. When I got to Dayton, I was publisher and president of the Dayton Business Journal, a, a sister pub to Denver Business Journal and very much like Colorado Springs Business Journal. They had gotten disconnected from the community and came in and helped them get reconnected just in time for the Great Recession, which made that journey kind of an adventure. Yes. 
um, I have a lot of fun doing the problem solving. And so coming in there, getting the right people in the right seats, doing the right things are what matters. I tend to look at business from a people, process, and product perspective. In, those, so, in that order? Um, well, those components. Every, okay. business, every business is different and has different issues. But okay. people is, is the employees, customers, and vendors. Process is how do you do what you do, whether it's a service or you make things or whatever. And product is what do you send out the door? Uh, is, it, is it, in my case, advice and, and wisdom and, and changing your business? Or am I making widgets and sending 100,000 widgets out the door? Doesn't matter. It's still the same thing. What am I producing? Yeah. That's where, you know, I did that. I did a, a gig. There was a group of newspapers, 10 daily newspapers surrounding Columbus, Ohio, years ago, where I ended up going in and taking the Columbus office and we jettisoned one product, uh, we sold one product, and we took that group of 35 people and made them easy to deal with in the marketplace. Um, the nice thing about it is we led the nation 57 properties one year and then did it again the next year. Wow. On top of that. Okay. We just, we made it simple, made it easy for people to deal, do business with us. So it's a lot of fun for me. I'm <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. You just have to find, I think, I think, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but is one of your issues that you probably find is having leadership when they do bring you in willing to release the reins a little bit to have you really direct them on how to, uh, how to solve their problems. Well, and it, and it's about getting results. Uh, a lot of times when I go in with a, with a new client, it'll be about a project. I've got one going on right now with an architect where we're, we're identifying, okay, how can he bring in staff at the level that he needs for the project flow that he has? It's one of those chicken and eggs. You know, he can't, always get the projects that he wants because he doesn't have the staff on board already and getting the staff on board and having nothing for them to do is a challenge. It, that is a challenge. Yep. Um, yep. So we're working on that. I'm doing the same right now with, with, I, I run a software factory okay. um, as part of my daily job that pays me. Um, <laughs> we, uh, you know, I, and that's, that's a, that's a fine balance because software developers are really, really hard to find right now. Um, and even harder to find them when, when I've developed the software factory as a, a culture first. So mm -hmm. I as well believe 100% in people, process, product. Mm -hmm. um, but I, and I do it in that order. It, to me, it is people first 100%, mm -hmm. um, whereas culture first. But what I found was trying to figure out if, if I get too much work in, now I can't hire fast enough because it's literally taken me a year to hire 10 people. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to bring people on and then have them sit there because, you know, you can't do that. That's all right, right. I can't. But then what do you do on surge as well? Right. I don't want to hire somebody for three, three or four months because they'll know they really won't conform to the, the culture aspect. They're more about just getting a product out the door. Right. Right. So I've been toying the ideas, trying to figure out how to do that, how to surge and, it's interesting because you, it forces a person to start thinking outside the box. Well, maybe I can offer a discount if, if I have got two, two companies that want products, maybe that, that want software developed. Mm -hmm. Maybe if, if you're saying, I really don't need it till like the end of summer, but this guy over here needs the beginning of summer. Tell you what, if you, I know you were here first, but maybe if I give you a 5% discount, will you be willing to wait a little bit and let me put this guy in front of you? 
So things like that, playing with the idea of different <coughs> business models of how, how do you do that? So a big part of that, and you, d- you obviously do it is to listen to your customer. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Step one, right? <laughs> it, we will not do anything without listening to the customer first. Yeah. That really has to be done. Yeah. That's, the, that's the hard part for some people. They say, I want to do it this way. I don't care what the customer wants. Yeah. That doesn't work all the time. Yeah, well, the customer's always right. Even though then they're not, not still necessarily. Have to listen to them. <laughs> um, well, in the way I've always done that is you have to listen to the customer first. Because um, I've done a lot of A&AS jobs, so advisory assistance uh, services on the government side. Okay. So when we're advising the customer. And I've had a lot of people, I had a lot of employees that were, were found that very difficult when they'd be like, well, Mr. and Mrs. Government, I want to, um, I suggest you do this. Mm-hmm. And, they, and the government come back and say, nope, we're not doing that. And then they'd come to me, well, the government said they didn't want to do that. I'm like, okay, well, we need to present it to them again. You know, not just talk, but present our reasoning why we advise them to do right. this. And after about the third time, my, my rule of thumb is, okay, make sure you document it, saying here's what I suggest. I hear that you want to do it this other way, so we will do it that way. Uh, just so um, we're all protected and everybody's on the right. same page. So, right? right, so to let you know that, okay, I, I get it. I advise you to do this, but if you don't want to do that right now, that's fine. We can try the other way. We can run a different experiment. So. One of the issues that I get into with, with some clients is I spend a lot of time getting them to acknowledge what it is they want from the effort. What do they want to do? What's the result they want at the end of the year? And then I go and we talk about what they're doing and not doing to get them there. If they don't change what they're doing, they're going to get the same result. And if they want a different result at the end of the year, they got to change something. A I believe of, that's the definition of insanity, right? Exactly. A lot of times, and I'll tell people up front, I said, if, if we're talking, it's because something isn't working. You may not even really know what it is. I'll help you figure that out. You need to decide what you want to do about that. I have a, a story about a client who brought me in because his growth was stagnated. We spent a week talking to his C-suite, going out on the plant floor, talking to customers, it all came down to the owner realized he liked how the business was working, even though he wasn't growing. He liked his role in the business. He was, a, he was an engineer. <laughs> and so we parted friends, but he just said, I'm not, I'm not going to make the changes necessary to get to the next level. Okay. Well, that's okay. It's his that's business. Fine. That's his business. That's his business. And he has to accept those consequences. And if, if you don't, right. right? I mean, that's the way... That's the great part about business, right? It's uh, open, open and free will. So that's right. That's right. Okay. Well, let's. We're gonna go take a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll keep keep pushing on this a little bit. Okay. All right. Sounds right good. Puebloplex is located east of the Pueblo Airport Industrial Park. As a designated state authority, Puebloplex is responsible for implementing the reuse of the Pueblo Chemical Depot's three million square feet of buildings and over twenty three thousand acres of land. Implementations of the redevelopment plan include seeking companies to continue to generate economic development within southeastern Colorado. Puebloplex currently has tenants conducting manufacturing, warehousing, and distribution operations, and rail car storage and maintenance, in addition to serving numerous business and personal storage tenants. For a detailed look and updated information, visit Puebloplex.com. Welcome back to this week's Smallest Cast Podcast. This week we have Neil Arthur with Arthur Biz Advisors. There you go. I, I was almost ready to say solutions, sorry. Um, and then, you know, you've got a very unique name, sir. I, uh, 
every time when you when you and I first started emailing back and forth, right. I'm like, do I call him Arthur or Neil? Because you know that happens a lot. Kind of and both I, first names. And, and what I tell people, I said, I have three first names. Only my mother got the first one, and the Social Security. <laughs> <laughs> I don't use it for anything. Yes. Um, yeah, but I, I find that very unique. I, I've I've done that more times than you can shake a stick at. Just people send me an email out of the blue, and I never know because if you if you're not in the Office 365 area, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that it comes as your last name first. Right, right, right. So I was like, I don't know. we'll try it. So that's why I like it. And then it's even worse when people don't have like a um, uh, a signature block and they just mm. just end it. Just, without, just end it, yeah. Without giving me your name. Yeah, my, or, my mother, I'm the oldest of five kids, and my mother had it had it absolute obsession with making sure we all had names that we couldn't turn into nicknames. Okay. And she, she succeeded. There you go. <laughs> so we, um, we were chatting. You said you have two employees. So what, what eventually brought you out to Colorado? Was it another? Uh, yeah. Tell my, us that story. My, my smart remark is, you know, those bumpy things over there. Right, in the there West? you go. That's right, right up there. That's yeah. right. I sat down with a friend a couple of years ago and, and pretty well roughed out that I've been in the Rockies somewhere the equivalent of a week of every year of my life. I absolutely love the mountains. I'm not a beach person. I've done the beach half a day. I want to shoot myself. <laughs> um, I've been, I was 11 hours away from being trapped at a hiking lodge in British Columbia on 9-11. Wow. I was stuck in a hotel in downtown Spokane for three days because I didn't mm. stay in British Columbia. I would rather be in British Columbia. I think. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> I uh, got lost in the mountains of New Mexico or of, of Mexico many years ago when it was still safe to do that <laughs> and, and ended up spending the night in a boutique hotel that was a former governor's mansion. Wow. Walked around the corner to a very high end art museum that had an embedded restaurant. And I don't mean next to it. I mean, we ate next to a Ming vase. We got lucky that night because they brought in a chef from Europe to change the menu. And we were there early for the Mexican dining habits we had the sommelier, the owner, and the chef all giving us tasting samples for three hours. You can't plan a trip like that. No. Been hiking in the Sangre de Cristos, been in unteen business trips to all up and down the Front Range. I love the mountains. I'm, I'm a hiker, or at least I was before COVID. <laughs> COVID's, COVID's got me in a chair too much now. <laughs> well, that's why I forced myself out. Matter of fact, when COVID hit, so I run... Um, a Cub Scout den. I run a, oh. a, a troop for the Boy Scouts. So we're very, very outdoorsy people. And when COVID hit that first year, I think we spent with the with the Cub Scouts over 28 nights or something like that. Oh, that's that fabulous. Summer. Um, people are like, well, you got to stay inside. No, I, I think outside is the place to be, right? I, right. I'm not I'm around a ton of people all the time and so it was like a, just a big extended family. We were just always hanging out in the mountains, and um, so loved it. It I'm, was great. I'm a I'm a scouter too. Okay. Um, one of the turnarounds that we did was the turning around of a scout council that was six months away from being losing its charter. Really. Um, and we were able to put together a team of three of us, and we got rid of a million two in debt that had been sitting there for eight years. We got rid of it in less than two years, and we. Um, replaced a good many numbers of the board 
and got the recognition as the most improved council in the country in 2011. Wow, congratulations. So it was, it was quite a journey. They didn't think we were going to survive. So. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of fun to do that one, too. That one was, you know, that one was a pretty public one. <laughs> yes, yes. A lot of times you don't want to be in the public as much. No. Um, so, okay, so I'm curious. Um, in, as a small business mm-hmm. and startup, and I mean, well, not really a startup any longer. You've been there for a while. Throughout your years of, of owning the business, have you, is there any special tools that you use on a daily basis that you recommend to other small businesses? For example, do you, you know, do you use Office 365? Do you have, you know, something else? Do you use Trello? You know, these little things that I'm trying to get to people to understand that there's ways to do this and stay small that it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg to help you out. Right, right, right. Um, the best thing I can tell you about technology is I love technology. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wannabe astronaut. I was going to go to the academy until I got glasses and a foot too tall. There you go. Um, but I have been in the universe. The media business tends to be both Apple and PC. Uh, the business side and the, and the, yeah, the business side is all PC. The, the news side is all Mac. I have got both computers sitting in my office now. Mm-hmm. I use the PC pretty much all the time just simply because it speaks business better than yeah. I found Apple does. Um, so, and that was the same way when I, you know, uh, for 10 years I carried both an Apple phone and an Android phone. Right. Um, and people were like, well, why would you carry two? Well, at back in the day, right. That was when you didn't have unlimited everything. So, right. you know, I, and the company didn't want to pay and they didn't want your, the, the work stuff on your personal device or whatever. So, I carried both, but I will say I went all in really trying to use it for mm-hmm. the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But it's it was at that time, this was years ago, it was very little things like on the iPad, for example. And now it has changed since then, but you there was no, you couldn't define where you wanted to save your files that you created. Right. So if I took notes, I couldn't save them in a folder that I called whatever I wanted to call it, right? Because I wanted to, it, it was more of, you had to open that, the application and it was saved within the app, right? Right, right. And I found that just to be, I, my brain can't wrap its mind around that because <laughs> I was like, that's not, or, as an engineer, that is not organized for that, me. That isn't logical. That's not logical for me. It, it, for, for a computer to think that way, 100% because it's right. metadata, right? As long as right. you sign up your metadata, it's a database. Right. Um, but for my brain as an engineer, it wasn't happening. So you, I, I'm, I'm a former enterprise-wide power user of Salesforce. Ah, it is not a tool built for small business anymore, and I have a horror story about that. I'm actually forced by circumstances right now of using two CRMs, Customer Relationship Management Software, mm-hmm. which is an oxymoron. That is not how you <laughs> use a CRM. Uh, I haven't solved that problem yet. I'm working on it. So We're going to chat after this. I, I actually, uh, <laughs> uh, a few years back, I was working for a company that, you know, when I when I was doing business development for them, right? Um, they had said, "Well, hey, what's a?" I, I had asked the question, "What do you guys use for your CRM?" Right? Because mm-hmm. as a BD guy, I was like, "Well, I need something." I'm going out meeting hundreds of people every other right. week, right? And uh, they're like, "Well, we use spreadsheets, you know, Excel spreadsheets." And I'm like, <laughs> "Why?" And I'm like, "Well, we can't afford Salesforce. It's a hundred thousand dollars a year." I'm like, "I get that," but I said, "Okay, well." So I went out and I just built my own. Well, see, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go back to three by five cards again right now. But. Well, so I built my own and I will, after this episode, I'll, I'll show you some of the stuff that I did. I built it from ground up um, and I've, 
put it this way. My current company is using that product now so you haven't, as their main CRM. You haven't gone public with a launch yet. I have not. It's, it's on my board of a time to go to public with this um, because I was like, why not? Right? I mean, it's something, something right, very simple right, to right, use. Right. So, um, well, cool. So what else? I mean, well, to answer tech. your question, one of the things that we've learned with business owners, I, th I think I said that I look for the business owner's readiness to work on their business. We've got a couple of tools. I have actually a family business in Ohio that I helped transition from second to third generation. Mom, who built a propane distributorship business over 30 years, was ready to exit, didn't know what she didn't know about doing her exit. So she came to a, a, a workshop that we produced, and we connected and started working on it. And we use a tool called Value Builder System, which is, uh, I won't go into all the details, but a a global researcher built four businesses, sold them all, and felt like he got taken to the cleaners every time because he didn't know what he didn't know. So he started building some research called Value Builder System, which is a tool I'm now licensed to use, which gives me easy and simple diagnostics of the strength of a business. It's a simple 43-question survey you take online. You get a pop-up scorecard, and it gives you a sense of where do I need to work on to make my business the most valuable it can be. Hmm. We then, and in this case we did, we get involved down into the weeds, as I call it, helping them sort out where are they weak, where are they strong, what do they need to ignore. Um, some of it is that Jane was the center of the universe for the company and for the community they were in. Well, she needed to step out of that role, let one of her four sons who were gonna take over the business step into that role. So uh, we did a lot of work with that. We looked at their customer service and customer relationship piece of their business. She felt it was good, but we weren't sure. And they wanted to do a lot of merger and acquisition work and do some organic growth. So we did a, a fairly serious mailed survey, which you hardly see anymore, found out that their net promoter score was better than Amazon. And for a local business to score 74 on a 100-point scale is unheard of. Wow. Usually they're in the 50s and 60s. Um, so we said, we're still using that, and that's a four-year-old survey. <laughs> so, there you go. you got to have a base someplace. That's right. That's right. But they were able to transition 15 months early. So okay. it, was, it was, we got leadership training for the brothers. Uh, we did a lot of stuff, and were we they, still are. Were they able to capture the essence of what the business was to the community? Because that's what it sounds like. I mean, it, it was very much about raising the profile. We, we identified where do each of the brothers belong in the organization? Who's going to be president? Who's going to run this division? Who's going to be operations? One brother wanted to come into the business, left his job at Wright-Patterson. Ten days later, figured out, no, this isn't really where I belong. Uh, we tried to head it off, but it didn't work. Didn't and he have some vacation time you could have yeah, taken well, first to figure he out? <laughs> he, went, he went back to his job. Yes. Uh, that, Lucky. He succeeded in that. Yeah, it was a good fit for him. He's still an owner. He yeah. just isn't operating. Yeah, and, and that's there's a, a difference. good fit for him. Yeah. Um, so it's, they got the keys to the business January 1 of 2020. I don't know if you remember what happened that spring, but yeah. COVID locked everything down. Very much so. They, right now, they lost $7,000 worth of propane tank business, what I call barbecue grill, 20-pound tanks, while they were locked down. The beauty of that is that they made twenty-one grand 
after they opened back up because people bought additional tanks, additional gas, and said, we're never going to run out again. There you go. So they've done famously. Good. Hopefully they were prepared for that. They were. They've done an incredible job. And it's an organization that's facing a lot of turnover because most of their employees have been there 20, 30, 40 years. Their longest-term employee just retired last year at 51 years. Wow. It's the only job the guy ever had. Well, I'm seeing, I've read a lot of articles, and, you know, everybody said, well, this is going to be the new normal. Everybody work remote, work home. Um, I've been reading a lot of articles where, where people are saying, mm, probably not, because people aren't finding out that in their work-life balance is actually less. Right now than ever before because they're answering emails at 10 o'clock at night they're um, now i've always done that personally so i was gonna say that doesn't my life different for me hasn't changed anything but um and i've noticed it a lot too i've, I've noticed uh software developers for example a lot of them are like well we want to work remote wherever however whenever right, we want right a matter of fact i um helped the chamber here in town last week put on the chamber connect mm-hmm. and that's one of the things they talked about well why can't you give your employees you know, 17 weeks vacation why can't you do this i so I, I get the idea of it. Um, however, in the DOD realm or right. government work, uh, you right. can't, right? Because that money that if, if I gave you 17 weeks vacation as my employee on a government contract, um, I'm no longer now making revenue right. off of your hours, right? So um, in, in the commercial world where it's product driven or something like that, yeah, okay, you build one product every six months and then you take six months off, whatever. That might be capable, but I think it's, it's very dependent upon your business uh, who the customer is. Um, and then I, I also see, like I said, um, I think I think the pendulum's going to swing back to the way it was. Well, there's a, there's a twist to that. You and I were at the same connect. And my conversations with people over the last three or four years about that phenomenon, there was a whole lot of conversation about productivity with people working remotely. Mm-hmm. What it comes down to is if you have a productivity issue in an employee, I don't care where they are sitting, Right. you got a productivity issue. Uh, people that I know of who have unlimited PTO find that their people take less time yep. off Correct. because they feel obligated to get a piece of work done. Yep. Um, I have that bad habit. I wish I had all the vacation time I didn't take in my career. <laughs> uh, same here, uh, 100%. And, and, and as I made the comment during that Connect event that <clears throat> I think what people forget is PTO, unlimited PTO sounds great to the employee, mm-hmm. but it's even better for the right. company. Exactly. Because if you're, if you're an employee that leaves, I no longer have to pay you out right. of your vacation, which is required by law. So if you never have any PTO on the books, I never There's have to pay anything to pay out. It out. So right. um, I think people just, you know, those little things that people really don't Sometimes talk about. You don't think about the other side of the equation. Exactly. So, um, so it's, it's both sides of the coin. Um, I've never been that way. Um, I am a firm believer, though, in um, true salaried employees. Where if you if you come in and work eighty hours this week, I don't care mm-hmm. if you come in at all next week. Personally, I mean, if you have something to do, yeah, I'd right. like you to be there. But at the same time, I've never been the type to to really, other than on government contracts where you've got to account for every six right. months of your day. Right. And I don't I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Personally, um, sure it could change, you know, down the road, but. Uh, things like that don't typically just change overnight. So, well, and and that's what that's been the thing with lockdowns and remote work and all of that. You get some businesses like the propane distribution business that there is no such thing as remote. I mean, you have to take a truck and deliver the gas. Yeah. Um, if you've got somebody in software development, my son is a VP for a 
California company living in Cleveland. And he's he's now seen the rest of his team for the first time in two years just about a month ago. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and it also depends on how um, the culture is, though, too. Uh, for example, in our factory, uh, we're pair programming. So in the culture, it's culture first, meaning uh, you have to be in in person, right? Uh, because right. you have to sit next to your pair partner. Yeah. Do we have the capability? A hundred percent. If if somebody is not feeling well that day or has a, sick, a kid sick at home, mm-hmm. we a hundred percent work from home. We'll figure it out. Right. But I guarantee you, every single one of those people comes in and like, man, hey, you brought in like three CEOs yesterday. Who were they? We missed out on all that because we weren't part of it. Right. What happened? You know. So you still miss out on quite a bit if right. you're not next to each other. Like I said. Now, if you if you're not doing pair programming, if you're not doing agile, you know it's on on software development or right, whatever. Right. You know, it, it all depends on the business, like you said. So, well, and and I was leading a, a a tab board. The alternative board is another one of our tools where we bring business owners together in a peer advisory model. Uh, it's a very disciplined problem solving process that the business owner then goes back to their place and and does the work of solving the problem. One of the conversations we got into this morning was about the fact that hybrid is here to stay. Like it or not, that's not going away. Uh, Everybody's gotten used to using Zoom. I used to do one or two go-to webinars a year, not seven or eight Zoom meetings in a a day. day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So that, yeah. The, The thing that I've learned is that you have to be so much more intentional on a Zoom meeting in your communication. Yeah, there's no wink, wink. There's no shoulder nudge. There's no look across the table. Yeah, uh, you really have to be intentional. You have to call on people that tend to be introverts and not talk. Uh, and and for me, I have to. Uh, so if you're ever on a web call with me, typically I will have my camera on like 99 percent of the time. Right. I hate it when people turn their cameras off. I because I know I got pretty cranky one day about that one. I mean, literally, you, you know that they've got another monitor that they're looking at emails or right. and and I'm 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 the same way. I I find myself if it's boring that I'm on a meeting that I have to be on, I will look at and I'm I know I'm not paying attention like I would be in person. Right. right. So yeah, I, I think if I if I own my own business, I would make that a requirement. If you want to work remote. Great, as long as we can fig- figure that out for my company. Uh, but I would require you to have your camera on yeah. all the time. And I, I actually, in a couple of meetings, have actually said, if you can't be on camera, you're not welcome. Yeah, it's yeah. it makes a difference. It really does. It mm-hmm. makes a difference because you actually feel like you're talking to right. somebody then. Now, the ones where that doesn't work is when you're in 400 people in a, in a, in a Zoom yeah. meeting and you, and you couldn't see them all if you tried. Yeah, so, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so anything else you want to tell the, tell the crowd? <laughs> I love being in Colorado. I know that. It is. I it, that's the, why I came here, range. too. Yep. Um, uh, the part that's fun is I'm doing a casual survey to find the natives. I'm at about 10%. <laughs> not a whole lot of them. I am not. I am an import, but I've been here longer now than where I grew up. So I was born and raised on a farm in North Dakota. I still love home, um, but I came down for the mountains as well. So yeah. I came down here yeah. for college and ended up staying and... Um, absolutely love it. Um, love going out. Yeah, and my my only challenge is that I started a thing f- four years ago, five years ago, where I would take at the time four grandchildren who were all you know under the age of ten at the time, and we did summer camp at my house. No parents allowed. Had them for a week. They could do just about anything they wanted except kill themselves. <laughs> and I did it again two years later with six of them, 
And now I'm trying to get now you're some, trying to kill yourself. <laughs> say, really, summer camp in the Rockies. Yeah, people would look at me and say, "You had them all without yeah. parents." I said, "Yep." Yeah. Well, so it was a lot of fun. I, nice. I have pictures. One of my favorite pictures on my wall in my office is is the pictures of all six of them at the last one, holding a picture of the four of them at the first one. Nice. I want to get. I'm going to multiple layers yeah, of pictures. So. Something to start. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on summer camp in the Rockies, but. COVID and kids at that age don't have schedules you can control. I have a friend from college. She started um, a summer camp for adults here in Colorado a few <laughs> years back. And I don't, my only regret is wishing that I would have thought of it first. Really? Um, it, it, and she called it Camp Shenanigans. So I'm like, <laughs> that was genius, actually. Really? Um, really. So phenomenal place. Um, so what is there anything you guys do? don't do or you want to stay away from when helping small business or um i tend to stay away from retail just okay. because i got a stint as I, I had a stint early 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 in my career where i was asked to come in and manage a small department store first general management job i ever had realized i love general management i had gone from sales to sales management to general management and i also learned that i didn't like waiting for the customers to come in the door I there would rather go out and knock on their door. Yeah. So that's so Hoover that's, salesman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never did do yeah, door to door. I did have a newspaper route when I was a kid. There you so, go. You know, that's, that's almost like that. Close as close get, as I got to get to your that. two dollars, right? Whatever. That's right. That's right. That's right. Get my box of chocolate covered cherries at Christmas, and I hate cherries. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do how do people get a hold of you? How do you how do they get a hold of the company or yourself? Or the best way to reach me is on my email, which is Narther N is in Neil A R. T-H-U-R at ArthurBizBiz.com. Okay. Or you can call me, and I've learned that here nobody cares what your area code is because we're all imports, so it's 937-260-0046. And yes, that's Southern Ohio. I've actually run into some other people with the same area code, and I'm going, okay, that's pretty bizarre. <laughs> Met a, met a woman last night whose husband was at Wright Pat, or no, her parents were at Wright Pat, and she spent six years living in my town where I was born in Ohio. And I went, wow. oh, that, what are the odds of that? Yeah, no kidding. So, well, it's a small world out there. It um, is. Last week I was at the symposium pretty much the entire week, and mm -hmm. I, I pulled along a couple employees, um, some of my software developers, just come along just to see what it's like, uh, kind of give them, you know, uh, hey, here's what we're doing. And, um, I remember them making comments like, how does all these people know you? Like, literally, you can't walk 10 steps without somebody coming up and saying, talking to you. How do you know all these people? And I'm like, well, I've done this for many, many years. That was my 17th symposium. Oh, my. And by default, I guess you've just been out there long enough. I'm what's considered old gray beard, I guess. And even though I don't have the beard right now. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of kind of unique. Do you have a website as well? I do. ArthurBiz.com. Excellent. <clears throat> Well, I will tell you that it is nothing but a, a static brochure, but it's hey, got some information about it. Us. It's, a, it's still a web presence. That's right. I'm actually working on some marketing videos that we're, we're getting. We're in the editing stage right now. So yes, I know we, what that's like. As <laughs> soon as we get those done, we'll get those posted on LinkedIn and on uh, the website and wherever well, else cool. is appropriate. Well, I appreciate you coming in, Neil. Well, thank you for the invitation. This I appreciate been it. It's been awesome. Great to get to know you. I'm sorry yes. Dennis is under the weather, but well, you know he'll be back. He's uh, I talk to him every day. Um, he'll be he'll be back in person. He'll, he'll be doing the the Dennis dance again soon. So um, we appreciate you coming in. Thank you for your time. And uh, 
We'll be back again next week. And it's Just Nate signing off. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You've reached the end of another episode of the Smalls Cast podcast. Connect with us at thesmalls.org. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free materials. See you at the next episode. See you at the next episode.